It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October 24th, 2013. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Uh, looking forward to our discussion. Uh, we have a special guest with us tonight as well. We do. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him? All right, we're in the middle of our gospel meeting this week here at College View, and uh, as we always do when we have a gospel meeting week, uh, our, our service has just concluded, and we have just immediately rushed in here to the virtual Bible study room, got behind the desk, and ready to go. Preaching for us tonight, Kevin Maxey, who preaches for the Port Royal Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Kevin, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Thank you for having me. And thank uh, you for your lesson tonight, uh, very good. Appreciate Thank you. We had, a, we had a little rocky start with the computer system. Yeah, but, we were. But, but, but Kevin pulled it out. That's right. That it could be impressed. a little unnerving. It could be a little unnerving. Our computer wasn't cooperating with it. It reinforced my conviction that had Paul been using PowerPoint, he would have done one, maybe two missionary journeys. There's no way he could have got through. <laughs> that there might be some right. Some kind of technical difficulty somewhere along the line. That, that, that might be right. I, now, uh, had, had I shown up more than five minutes before. The uh, service, oh, that, that probably wouldn't see, have been a problem. You took the blame. You shouldn't have done that. You just messed up. Uh, well, uh, uh, we, we made it through, and, and, and we're very glad to be able to be on the virtual Bible study. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to take Kevin's topic for discussion, and we're going to talk about it and expand upon it and maybe answer some questions that some people have regarding the various dispensations of time that that have existed that we read about in the Bible Sort of see where we stand in that big picture of things, and um, and hopefully make some applications to some things that are really pertinent in the world today. Uh, Kevin, maybe ex- explain to us a little bit just the the premise of your lesson tonight. Well, the the reason that I put this lesson together is a lot of times when I'm talking with people, there's just sort of a thought that well, I read this over here in the Old Testament, or I read this in the New Testament, and I read this uh, back in the book of Genesis, and there's this confusion about, am I supposed to do what it says in the book of Leviticus? Am I supposed to do what they did, what David did? And how do I know what I'm supposed to do? And a lot of people view the Scripture as just sort of just one book, and whatever you want to find in it that you like to apply to yourself, then, then that's what you do. Or it can just become very confusing, and some don't have an understanding of the different covenants. And so we can explain what God says about how he spoke in times past in different ways. Then that can give us an understanding about how he speaks to us today so we can have clarity about our will or his will for us. I think that's really important because I've talked to many people through the years who just say, I, the, the Bible just absolutely confuses me. I just think it's impossible to understand the Bible I mean, it says something about killing a cow, you know, and over here in this part of the Bible, but I don't read anything about it over here, you know, and it talks about 
priests over there and uh, high priests and and then in, I read over here in this part and I, something's different about that and I'm going to tell you it's just it's just so confusing I'm, I just gave up you know and I've ta- you've probably talked to people who've had that opinion a lot of that as you say is due to the fact that folks are not making the distinction between the various time periods that are described in the Bible and how God was dealing with people in those various times. What periods. you're saying, Kevin, maybe to clarify, is you're talking about taking the Bible as a whole mm-hmm. uh, and understanding it, it from start to finish as a whole and how, how we relate to the Bible as a whole. You're not saying we need to throw away part of the Bible. You're saying we need to understand the Bible as, as the whole picture. Right. It, it is just awesome to look at God's plan that he purposed in eternity and see how he did certain things in the book of Genesis and then Moses and then the the book of Leviticus and then what he did with the people of Israel and all the prophecies and how it all leads up to Christ. And it just seems like as students of the word, the more we study it, the more we see this perfect picture. Your faith is strengthened by studying the Old Testament is what you're saying. Exactly. All right. Earlier today, I sent out to our update list. We always do this on Thursdays. If you're not on our update list, you can be easily. Send us a, an email to questions at collegeview.com. And uh, to our update list today, we sent out these questions. Kevin suggested these questions for us, and these are the, this is sort of the way we'll progress through the program tonight. Number one, what are the various times and various ways God has spoken in times past? Number two, how does he speak to us today? Number three, when did the last days begin? Number four, cite verses that explain when the old law ended. Number five, think of some things that people justify doing today by going to the old law for authority. And finally, number six, what is the purpose of the old law? Should we study it today? Those are all great and important questions, and and I think will make a good discussion for us during the virtual Bible study. Let's start out with the first question. What are the various times, various ways God has spoken in times past? Kevin, as a as a, a principal text for your study tonight, you used Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir over all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. Now, I'm reading the King James there. And there's a couple of words that are a little bit unusual to us yes. in the King James where it says sundry times and diverse manners. What's that? Put that in modern English, Kevin. Well, uh, the New King James says various times in various ways, yeah. or you could say in different times in different ways. Yeah. So, so it, it says at different times in the past and in different ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. So, but he says... But hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. So there was something true of time past, and it's not the same now. It's it's different now. So let's let's talk first about the the first ways that God spoke to man. What do we know about them? Well, you could just look at so many different examples that come to mind. You know, he spoke uh, to Moses in Exodus three through a burning bush. You know, and then you could think of different ways he spoke in dreams. He spoke uh, through a donkey. Right. Yeah, that's one way. That's right. a different way. And Balaam, that's that's pretty different. Of, in case of Balaam. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a lot of yeah. different ways. In general, though, we typically break this, this down into what we call dispensations of time. The way mm-hmm. God dispensed, I guess, I guess the idea of dispensation is how did God dispense his information? How did he dispense information and, and instructions to people? 
uh, in various times. It started out uh, in, the, in the earliest part of the Old Testament, uh, in particular in the book of Genesis. We read about God speaking directly to heads of families. Okay. Uh, obviously, he spoke to Adam in the mm-hmm. garden. Mm-hmm. We know that he spoke to Noah and gave instructions to Noah. Right. Uh, the one that we read the most about is Abraham. He certainly yes. spoke and dealt directly with Abraham, mm-hmm. uh, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. We know that all of those men received direct communication from God. God, this was before uh, the written word, before anything was written down. Uh, in fact, in the very earliest parts of the Old Testament time period, writing wouldn't even have been a known medium. Uh, in the days of Adam, uh, likely in the days of Abraham, writing had not been invented yet. That we know of. That we know of. Right. And so God was communicating orally with the, with the fathers, with the heads of families, giving instruction, telling them what to do. It, and, and Kevin, we might point out that he didn't always tell the same thing to everybody. Uh, he told Noah to build an ark. He didn't tell anybody else that. He told Abraham to leave his homeland and travel to a to a new place. So he was giving specific instructions to individuals. And as you mentioned about not having a written word at that point, I think as I read through Scripture, we're reading through the book of Genesis, and then we just assume that everybody we're reading about in the book of Genesis had the book of Genesis, but yeah. the, you know it, that wasn't recorded till later. And so that tells us how important it was when God did give His written revelation. Uh, on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, you know that then they did have this covenant that taught them about sin and taught them preparing the way for Christ. Yeah. So, but before that time, he spoke to the the fathers. Yeah, and and we have given a label to that. Mm-hmm. It's not a biblical descriptive, but it, in other words, we can't find these exact words in the in the Bible. But we believe it does do a fair job of describing the situation. We call it the patriarchal dispensation. God was dealing with the patriarchs or the fathers, the heads of families, giving them instruction about what to do. That's why we call it the patriarchal dispensation. Mm-hmm. I think Arthur's in, uh, uh, one of yes. our elders, Arthur Haynes, is sitting in with us tonight, and he's got a comment for us. Arthur? <clears throat> well, I was just looking there in the very beginning in Genesis 4. You know, so then faith come by hearing, hearing the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. So how did Abel know what to offer? You know, had he not have been told what to offer? That wasn't a Leviticus tribe. That wasn't a priest that offered. That was the fathers that mm-hmm. he spoke to that he used before he uh, with the. Uh, so the, uh, so the, 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 there's an example, a very early example in Genesis. Cain and Abel, they were they were to give sacrifices. One was acceptable. Abel's was acceptable. Cain's was not. How did Abel know how to give an, a, an acceptable sacrifice? Well, it had to be that he was instructed directly by God because there wasn't any written law, as you said. There wasn't any way he could have gone, so, oh, let me get my Bible and open it up here and see what I'm supposed to do. That wasn't possible. And so we know that there's another example of God speaking directly. You know, interesting, we, we mentioned about written language for for a long time. Critics and skeptics of the Bible said, well, the Bible is wrong because even in the time of Moses, men didn't know how to write. Now, actually, the Bible, based on biblical evidence, we believe that Moses is the author of the first five books of the Old Testament. We call it the Pentateuch. We believe that Moses was the one who wrote down, for right. instance, the Genesis story and so forth. But skeptics and critics had said for a long time, Moses couldn't have done that. People didn't even know how to write in Moses' day. 
That was kind of common criticism for a long time. But within the last 150 years or so, plenty of discoveries, archaeological discoveries have been made that prove that, yes, indeed, people did know how to write in Moses' day. And the Bible, uh, the Bible's legitimacy is confirmed in, in the claim that Moses would have been the the author of those early books of the Bible. Aaron in Baton Rouge says, I think you would have to start with Genesis 1, verse 3, when God said things to produce the creation, but that wasn't directed towards men. Certainly we do have records of God speaking uh, at times before uh, even uh, men were around. All right, uh, let's uh, continue the discussion. 877-381-4567. Arthur in the chat room. Well, we look at the case there of Job. What did Job do in case his sons had sinned? Right. You know, he offered for him. That wasn't a Levitical tribe. That had to have been the fathers that he spoke Good to. Good point. And, uh, and I think we'd have to conclude that that was uh, prior to Moses' day. Wade, Wade is in our, uh, sitting in with us tonight, too, but he has sent in an email. He said, How did you do that, Wade? <laughs> he, said, he said, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us. In his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he hath made the world. That's the New American Standard Version. Uh, Nehemiah 6, verse 7 says, You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will re- be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together, uh, emphasizing that he spoke through the prophets in the days of Nehemiah. So that first dispensation of time, we were asking what were the various ways, various times that God spoke in that first early period of time, God spoke to the fathers, the heads of families. We call it the time of the patriarchs. Uh, Jacob, we're up to break time. We want to take a break, and we'll go. We'll talk about that next dispensation when we come back. All right, we'll take a break. Get your thoughts. Uh, send them in in the chat room, or give us a call eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Do you remember when churches taught the truth in a straightforward and direct way with no sugarcoating? Can you recall when homosexuality was plainly condemned and unscriptural divorce and remarriage was not tolerated? Can you think back to a time when you heard hard sermons on moral issues like dancing, immodest stress, and filthy movies? Do you long for a return to the kind of teaching and preaching that you heard 30 or 40 years ago? The College View Church is trying hard to maintain the same moral principles that have been associated with God's people throughout the ages. They want to hold the line against the drifting that is characterized in so many churches today. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The most important work you will ever do will be within the walls of your own home. It takes a strong person to say, I'm sorry, and an even stronger person to forgive. Be thankful for what you have. You have no idea how many people would love to have what you've got. Talk about your blessings more than you talk about your problems. You cannot do a kindness too soon, for you never know how soon it might be too late. Man, wish I'd said that. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. Kevin Maxey joins us as we talk about uh, dispensations of time and how God has dealt with people in the past and uh, help us to understand how he's dealing with us today and how we ought to be responding to his message to us today. Kevin. And just to uh, wrap up that first dispensation we were talking about in uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, it speaks of a period from Adam to Moses. And so that would qualify as that period from 
prior to the giving of the law in Exodus 20, and then you mention about how we call it the patriarch period. A couple of passages that refer to patriarchs, Acts chapter 7, verses 8 through 9, call uh, this, this 12 brothers the, the patriarchs, and then also Hebrews 7, 4 refers to Abraham as a patriarch. So exactly. that gives us some basis for why we call it right. a patriarch period. Exactly. So we got an email from our friend Jim in Tompkinsville, Kentucky, and to all three of these first questions, he offers Hebrews one one, oh. which is the text for our, for yeah. that Kevin used for our study. All right. What about, so we're talking about from Adam to Moses. Clearly, we've already indicated something changed at Moses's time. Mm-hmm. Kevin, uh, expand a little bit on what changed at Moses's time. Well, we, when we look at how God sent the Israelites into Egypt, he brought them out a mighty nation, and then he entered into this covenant with them in Exodus 20, where he communicated his will to them about how to live. And really, I guess we'd have to go to the New Testament to find a few passages that talk about that purpose of the the old law, which would be to reveal to us about what sin is and then to point us to Christ, those kinds of things. But God set apart a special people through whom his will would be made known and then ultimately the Messiah would come who then could go out and save not just Jew but Gentile alike. All right, so God gave a law, a written law, to the nation of Israel as he brought, as you said, as he brought them out of Egyptian bondage as they were traveling away from Egypt. They came to Mount Sinai. God called Moses up on the mountain and to him delivered a law there. Uh, and it was a written, a codified law uh, that they were expected to learn and obey. It was a part of their commitment, their agreement, their covenant with God to keep the principles of that law that he delivered through Moses on Mount Sinai. So for a first time, we've got a written law that God expects people to live by. I wanted to, I was thinking when you were preaching earlier tonight, Kevin, maybe expound a little bit to us because I, we, we typically go patriarch, patriarchal period, mosaic period, Christian period as the three dispensations of time. Maybe we've, maybe that's a little bit of an oversimplification because the mosaic law wasn't for everybody. It was specifically mm-hmm. given to the Israelites. And we have some indication I mean, not a lot, but but a significant indication that God was still dealing with other people, even though they were not the recipients of that law of Moses. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Right. That, that's a whole other aspect to look at that is very interesting. I would think of how often we read in the prophets where God sent the prophets to other nations. Right. You know, Jonah and and then you know, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah within their words to God's people were also prophecies, judgments upon other nations. And even when God brought the Israelites into the promised land, he was bringing judgment upon the nations there. So that necessarily indicates that those people were accountable to God. They they, They knew or at least should have known what God was expecting of them. Now, again, it... We don't have all the information as to how thoroughly God was revealing himself to those people or all the all the information that he was supplying to them necessarily. But we know that they knew enough to be accountable 
because God was judging them and punishing them for their wickedness. Yeah, and they, Jonah's message to repent. I mean, so, repent. What are you talking about? Jonah went to the yeah. Ninevites. Right, the, yeah. Nineveh was the yeah. capital city of the Assyrian Empire, right. and and yet they knew, when he said repent, they knew what he was talking about. They knew what he was talking about. So they understood God's expectations for them. Now God's expectation for them was not the same as His expect, expectation for the Israelites. Right. But he did have, they knew, or should have known, what was what he was requiring, and God was holding them accountable for that. Cornelius apparently had uh, some type of standard he was living by that... Uh, Even in New Testament, New, New Testament, Testament times. Knowing that continuation. Who, who would you think of in the Old Testament, uh, Kevin's already mentioned, several of the prophets, in their, in their principal message to Israel and Judah, right. were also talking to the nations mm-hmm. that surrounded them, I think Jonah stands out as as a great example. Daniel, but think when think when uh, the children of Israel were traveling toward the promised land, when mm-hmm. Balaam was called upon right. to curse them, and he couldn't do it. God was working through Balaam. Balaam was a prophet, but he right. wasn't an Israelite. Right. So God was, you know, mm-hmm. still still. Can you think of any others that that come to mind? Well. You- I don't know, you think of Melchizedek at some point, but that was prior to the... Even before the law of Moses. Moses. And then just some passages that I would think of that show that all men at some point were accountable. You know, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. So through God's very creation, there's testimony that he exists. And then um, the condemnation of all of idolatry is really a refusal to acknowledge Jehovah is God. And then Romans 1, and in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Okay. So that whole chapter speaks about that. And then we know uh, in Acts 17, when Paul spoke at Athens, he talks about these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men to repent. So there there was something different, but there still is teaching that there was a accountability. In the chat room, Aaron adds some more. Obadiah, Nahum, and Balaam. Uh, Obadiah and Nahum, a couple of the minor prophets that were exclusively addressed to to four nations. Obadiah begins uh, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord of God, concerning Edom. So, not talking about Israel there. Okay. He also adds Jethro in Exodus 3 was a priest of Midian before he was Moses' father-in-law. I presume that a priest here indicates worship of Jehovah. I think he's right. So. So I think, uh, and, I think Wade, uh, Wade, Wade in, in our audience, we got Wade's a small going, audience, but we got one, and Wade's going to. Wade is going to try and participate by every medium possible tonight. He's done the email. Now he's going for the microphone. Is this how you communicate with your kids? The microphone. Yeah. The microphone. The, megaphone, the, yeah. the email. The texting. <laughs> Go ahead, Wade. Um, <clears throat> I was looking at Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22. Um, and you probably know, actually, if you start in verse 21, you probably know this, this story. Jesus went away there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the region, uh, from that region came out and began out, bent to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Uh, it's kind of interesting that this Canaanite woman actually come to Jesus. Um, of course, he calls her son of David, but calls she calls him son of David, but... Uh, even the Canaanites, even in that region, they understood there was some type of law that God 
requires of them. You know, you, it's kind of interesting that she would be, I'm sure she probably heard of Jesus and she probably heard of, you know, what he had done, but, but the respect that, that she would have because of his father, so. Okay. All right. Arthur's got a thought. And you might think about this one. I don't know. It's a little bit different, but Nebuchadnezzar on two occasions was referred to as the servant of God. He's my servant. And he used Nebuchadnezzar to punish Israel, Judah, all of the nations of that known time. Yeah, exactly right. Um, all right. So uh, I think we've got we've, we've we've traced it down so far, Kevin. God spoke to the patriarchs. Then he gave a specific law to the Israelites, a written law through Moses. We often refer to that as the Mosaic dispensation, although, uh, as we said, it was it was somewhat divergent. A little bit divergent in the sense that that Moses' law was exclusively to the nation of Israel. God was still dealing with other nations, too. But we come to the time of Christ. And the second question was, how does God speak to us today? Well, uh, your your text verse in Hebrews 1, verse 1, 2, hath in these last days spoke to us by his son. Mm -hmm. So God speaks to us through Jesus. Talk to, to us about that, Kevin. That's such a loaded question in, in asking in our society how does God speak to us because really in our day a lot of people claim to hear God speaking to them in all different kinds of ways say so, you know God told me this or my preacher said this or I had this kind of dream as if there is some latter day revelation or some new teaching but when we read Hebrews 1 1 we see that God has spoken in these last days through his son so it clarifies that we are to listen to Christ. So then the question would be, how does he speak through his son? And really, we could look at so many different passages. We could look at Ephesians chapter 2 and read about how the church is built upon a foundation of the apostles and the prophets, um, that they revealed this message of Christ, that they were apostles sent by Christ. And that message was once for all delivered, Jude 3. We could also look at 1 Corinthians 13 about the revelation was uh, made complete, and when it was made complete, that uh, the spiritual gifts necessary to confirm that message were done away with. So I would say that Jesus speaks through his inspired apostles and prophets this message of the new covenant that was confirmed uh, by the scripture, by miracles. Mark sixteen twenty and then Hebrews two four. Yeah, that's the verses I was thinking. Yeah, of. yeah, because yeah, the Lord uh, Jesus told his disciples, "Go ye." This is Mark sixteen fifteen. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then they went, and so uh, they verse twenty, Mark sixteen twenty. They went forth at his command and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with the signs following. So he spoke. He, he, of course, Jesus taught many things himself. They record many of the things he taught are recorded for us in the scriptures. But more of his will for mankind is revealed through the inspired apostles and prophets. Uh, have you ever talked to somebody who believed you had to have a red letter Bible? You know, some some publishers have gone uh, to to the extent of highlighting the words that Jesus personally spoke in red red letters. And, so, and we call those red-letter Bibles. Right. Not, nothing wrong with that unless someone takes the mistaken view that 
it has to, if you're going to prove something is necessary, you have to find it in the red letters. Yes. That Jesus himself had to have spoken it in order for it to be a binding requirement in our modern day. Um, to that, I would use 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 37. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, Paul, the inspired apostle Paul said, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. There you go. So that shows uh, that one up. Yeah, I think so. Are they have thought? You, know, you, think about, you think about Matthew 17, I believe it is, where that uh, Moses, Elijah, and Christ were transfigured there, and, uh, you know, Mo- Moses, the lawgiver, and uh, Elijah, probably the greatest prophet, and who to say to hear? Hear ye my son. Yeah. Hear, hear Christ. And then even after church established in, in uh, Acts 3 and verse 22, and Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet said, Lord, our God, raise up of your brethren like unto him, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things and whatsoever he says unto you. All right. All right, good. Wade's uh, uh, got some comments. I was thinking of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, uh, and it says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some of you who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a contrary gospel to that which we have preached to you, uh, he should be a curse. So even in this point, you know, Paul is talking about that, we have this one gospel, although there are some of you out there that are trying to distort. This one gospel is all we have. And gospel means good news, right? Mm-hmm. Good news. This one thing that we've given you, people are trying to distort it. So we see that's that's how he gave it. Okay. All right. All right. Now, and Wade uh, brings up a passage that makes the point, and Acts chapter 4, verse 12 makes the point as well, for there's, no, there's salvation in, uh, not in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We talked about the fact that God's dealing with man's diverged somewhat in the Old Testament by the New Testament that we're back again where God has one plan for all of mankind, uh, Jew and Gentile alike. Okay. All right, good. All right, all right we're up to break time. Uh, when we come back, we've got several questions, important ones. I think maybe some that might be a little bit more controversial. When did the last days begin? Cite versus explaining when the old law ended. We'll go to that when we get back from this. All right, we'll take a break and get your thoughts. Uh, Send them in via email, questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. We're surrounded by people who are lost in sin and destined to spend eternity in hell. That is, of course, unless they can be reached with the saving power of the gospel. There are, however, a number of issues making it harder and harder to reach lost people. For instance, our increasingly secular society has caused people to be much less interested in discussing religious topics. And, too, there is the difficulty caused by all the false teachers that are spreading their errors far and wide. We could also mention that the materialism of our prosperous times have blinded many to the realities of eternity. But one of the main problems we face is our own unwillingness to take the gospel to the lost. Too many Christians fear that others will be offended or put off by any effort to share God's truth with them. And so, since they might not respond favorably to our work, we do nothing. Think about it. We're willing to let others go to hell because we don't want to offend them with the gospel. Or, to put it in another way, we're watching them head for hell, but at least they're in a good humor. How sad. 
And this unwillingness to reach out to the lost goes beyond the nameless masses in our communities. It also includes our closest friends, our nearest neighbors, and even our own beloved family members. How many parents, for example, will ignore and tacitly condone the immoral conduct of their children because they don't want to alienate them or cause any friction in their relationships? How many Christians fail to speak up to warn their friends and neighbors because they don't want to hurt their feelings with the truth about their lost condition? Are we really willing to let these folks go to hell in a good humor? Wouldn't it be better to risk a negative reaction now instead of letting them be lost forever? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program too. Gracias. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the program tonight. We thank you for joining us. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We encourage you to find out more about us by our soon-to-be-redesigned website at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You'll want to check that out because yeah, yeah, you've been working on that, and I'm getting impressed. Oh, well, no, it's not impressive, but we, we our, our longtime uh, streaming services provider, our friend, Phil Hunt, who, uh, whose little company was called Webcast Fusion, he's closing her down. Oh boy! Yeah, and so he's throwing us out to the wolves, and we're going to have to we're going to have to find our own way now in the darkness. And, uh, and that uh, is a challenge for old, that, that, old folks like us. That's right. So yeah. uh, hopefully, by the time we're on the air next Thursday night, we'll be we'll be doing that via new streaming services and uh, with a new and different website. Uh, obviously, right. we, we're going to be starting out rather basic and we'll have to build building it. as we go. We'll have to build it as new and hopefully improved. Uh, new and perhaps will improve over time. Maybe it'll work. <laughs> new and maybe it'll work. <laughs> but new server or old, you can find out more about the College of Church of Christ by visiting thevirtualbiblestudy.com where you can find archives of every program we've had for the last eight plus years. And you can also find out more about what we believe in practice, find directions to our meeting place, and our meeting look, uh, times as well. So check out thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about the dispensations of God on the program tonight, how God has dealt with people throughout time and throughout history. Uh, and uh, as we go on, we see that uh, another important fact mentioned in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Kevin, in Hebrews chapter 1, he, uh, God, who at various times and various ways in time past spoke to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now, the question is raised, and, and you suggested it's worthy of discussion here. When did the last days begin? Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says that he hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. When did the last days begin? Well, we would know that the Hebrew writer, whatever he is speaking about, when he's talking about that time period, he's describing it as these last days. So I would go to, I mean, you could really go back to, Joel chapter 2, and see how one of the prophets of old spoke about something that was going to happen in the latter days. And then hundreds of years pass, and then we come to Acts chapter 2, and we see the apostles have been immersed in the Holy Spirit. They're preaching this message not long after Jesus had been crucified, buried, resurrected. Chapter 1, he's ascended into heaven. He's told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the the Spirit, they wait, they receive this ability to speak in tongues, and then it's this dramatic event, and people are wondering what's happening. And so Peter gets up and says in verse 16, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. So 
Joel, hundreds of years before Pentecost, said that this event was going to happen, and he described it as last days. And Peter, inspired of the Holy Spirit, stands up and says, this is that which was spoken. These are the last days that Joel was talking about. Then we go to Hebrews 1, and we see it's just another confirmation of the fact that this is that last time period that is written about in Scripture that the Hebrew writer was referring to. So I would go to Acts 2 to find that. All right, so... Joel prophesied of of events that would happen in the last days, and Peter said, "We're in the last days. This is, what you're seeing here on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem is the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied about." Yes, uh, and so clearly, Peter puts Acts two, day of Pentecost, in the last days period. Okay, right. right. Okay, Arthur, you got <clears throat> in Second uh, Timothy three and verse one. This we know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. And uh, it enumerates a number of the things that would take place at that day and time, and there's no doubt that they have. So he refers to the last days. All right. All right. Go ahead, Jay. I would say yeah, that, 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 that last days, I think, in, in 2 Timothy 3 would be the time that we're living in now, and we're seeing those things occurring now. Not that uh, they haven't occurred earlier. But they've been occurring throughout this period of time that we're living in. Okay. When we use the expression last days or last dispensation of time, what we're really what we're really proclaiming there, Kevin, is we believe that God is dealing with mankind now in the last of the means by which he intends to deal with them. Right. That, that he that he dealt with the patriarchs and then he dealt with Israel through Moses, but now he is dealing with mankind through the revealed will of his son Jesus Christ. And there's not going to be you know, in other words we've gone sort of progress through these dispensations. But what we're saying is there's not going to be another one. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a next one. This is the this last is it. one. This is the last one. Right. So when we hear the term last days, which is often spoken in the religious context today, it's almost said with this imminence that it's going to be, you know, in, in like the next ten four, years or, in the, you know, in the next few months, something in the future that's going to happen really quick. But when we read, as, uh, as you just mentioned Greg, that it's talking about this last time period. So we've got the time period of the patriarchs, the time period of Moses, and then this last time period. So from God's perspective, he can describe that as the last days. But, you know, for us, we can say, well, how could something that began 2,000 years ago be described as last days? And that, that would be relative to the person asking the question. So, you know, as we look at time from our human perspective it may not look like that could be something in the last days 2000 years ago but when we look at god's overall plan that he purposed in eternity there's the time of the patriarchs time of moses and then the last time period would be the time of christ okay all right arthur uh second peter chapter one verse three he says as according to his divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glow in virtue. So we have all things, all things needed. All right, we have a uh, slightly uh, dissenting opinion. I think wait, wait, Wade's got one. Let's get Wade's Wade's we'll get that first. Go ahead. Well, <clears throat> I guess my question is, um, you know, the premillennialists basically teach that there's going to be last days following these last days. Uh, obviously, their, their thousand-year reign comes after the last day, right? Yeah. So so how do you how do you rectify that? These would be the almost last days. These are the <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Uh, clearly, they would, and I don't know how they would answer that, Wade, but clearly they would have something different in the millennial kingdom than it is now. So that something would change. They might argue, although I don't know, and I've never posed that question to one who believes in the theory of premillennialism, they might argue that the same law will still be in force, and therefore it's not, you know, not changed. But I would think, like you, it seems to me like they, a, a whole different regime or system of things will be in place if what they teach is true. So it would be an interesting question to ask them. Let's get to an email from Garland. Uh, Garland has a slightly different... Garland's in East Tennessee. We've known we, Garland a long time. We think he's in East Tennessee. Last time I knew Garland was in... La- last known uh, East location. Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Uh, appreciate Garland for emailing us tonight. Uh, he says, Two passages clearly indicate that the last days include the ministry of Jesus. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says that in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Hebrews 2 verse 3... In the same book, Hebrews 2, verse 3, goes on to say that the gospel was declared at first by the Lord, clearly showing his personal ministry to be in view. So the last days included both the time when Jesus walked the earth and the time when the Hebrew writer wrote. Likewise, 1 Peter 1, verse 20 says that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. Certainly the Messiah, known from before time, was revealed or made manifest as he walked among man proclaiming the kingdom. Uh, my conclusion is that this precludes the idea that the last days are equal to the Christian era, beginning at either the cross or Pentecost. Every passage that predicts or recalls events said to happen in the last days point to the first century events between the ministry of Christ and the final destruction of the Jewish nation. So the last days must be the last days of Israel, not the last days of the earth, time, and Christianity. Um, well, I would agree with Garland's uh, evaluation that certainly the things in view there in, in Hebrews chapter 1, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, certainly while Jesus was personally alive, he was revealing uh, uh, the, the new covenant, the new law that men would live by. In, in Luke ch- chapter uh, 16, verse 16, it says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Right. And so uh, Jesus was teaching principles of the kingdom during his lifetime. I, I would certainly agree with that. The question is, when did they go into force? When, when did the, the kingdom principles that Jesus was teaching become the requirement for men to live by? And I would argue that didn't happen until the gospel began to be preached in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. So I would agree that hath in these last days spoken to us by his son would include the things that Jesus spoke while he was alive on earth. But the question is, when did those things become the law to live by? And I would argue that didn't happen until the day of Pentecost. Kevin, your thoughts? Right. Certainly there would be some overlap and as you mentioned, you know, when, when he spoke at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I came not to destroy the old law, but to fulfill it. And then he begins teaching about the coming kingdom. So there is this overlap. But then Peter clearly identified, you know, that everybody's asking what, what's going on on the day of Pentecost. And he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, identifying that time period. And then you could go to Cornelius in Acts 10 and Acts 11, when Peter explains how Cornelius received the Spirit, and where did he go? He said, these are the things that happened at the beginning. And so 
that's another indicator of something that changed. And when yeah, was the baptism point. of the Spirit take place? Uh, it was at the point. beginning, it is, it is. and that was in Acts two. Yeah, and also to parallel uh, the old the old covenant, uh, the law of Moses, the, the the old covenant was revealed prior to the nation of Israel entering into, entering into that covenant with God. It was revealed, and it then, was revealed, and, and then they entered was, in. They sprinkled the blood on the book and the people. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I think there well, might be a, a point where it became obligatory. Yes, right, exactly. Okay, right. That's a Arthur. big word, but I think that probably applies. All right, Arthur. In um, Matthew uh, 4 and verse 23, he said, just before the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases of the people. So we hear, see here that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know, okay. in Mark 9, verse What was 9, that verse you just gave, Arthur? Uh, Matthew, Matthew what? Four and verse twenty-three. Okay. And then we see in Mark nine and one, he said, "There's some of you standing here will not see death, but they see the kingdom come with power." So we do do know that the church come. That's different. We in Mosaic law, they wasn't no such as this preaching talk. <clears throat> also, uh, Colossians one thirteen says he's, he's translated us out of the power of darkness in the kingdom of his dear son. Right. So we're in the kingdom. Uh, John said he was in the kingdom in Revelation one. Right. So we know the king. That's not what was on the Mosaical law. Right. right. I, I think Garland's post. You know, he he he's uh, suggesting that every expression "last times" or "last days" points to the last days of the Jewish nation before they were ultimately destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Roman army. And I w- I would not argue that certainly. That time period was the last times of the Jewish nation. It's never been restored, never will be restored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we could say that there were last days of the Jewish nation, last times of the uh, of Israel. But also I think we can say that the last days refers to God's, the method or means by which God deals with men. And uh, we, we're referring to that as dispensations. And so okay. we're in this last dispensation of time. There, there will not be another period of time, and not, there won't be another law. There won't be another way by which God conveys His will to mankind. We are overdue for a break, and we better get it now. And when we get back, we when gotta, did the old law end? When did the old law end? What do people justify by going back to the Old Testament? And is there any use in the Old Testament today? That's going to be an important discussion as well. So, lots of ground to cover when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember when no one would have thought twice about getting the church involved in daycare centers, kindergartens, softball leagues, and youth camps? Are you upset when churches spend more time and money on social programs and recreational activities than on spreading the gospel? Are you tired of seeing congregations with their emphasis in entirely the wrong areas? The College View Church is still preaching the same gospel and practicing the same things that you remember from years ago. They're committed to the idea of speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Check them out. Visit the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The American Academy of Pediatrics is warning its members against what they call heterosexism, defined as, quote, the social expectation that heterosexuality is the expected norm. Doctors are being encouraged to post a rainbow decal on an office door or bulletin board and to display brochures that picture both same-sex and opposite-gender couples. They are not to ask a boy about his girlfriend, but rather to ask about his partner instead. That sad bit of news comes via religion today. 
The word of God says in Romans 1, beginning verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program, and Kevin Maxey has been kind enough to join us tonight. We're enjoying the discussion with him about uh, dispensations of God and how God has dealt with people throughout time. We just got about ten minutes, Jake. We're going to have to fly here. Get some. When did the old law end? So when did that law of Moses stop being the law that God wanted at least some people to be living? He wanted the Jews to live by the law of Moses, until when? Kevin, when, when, when would you pinpoint that? Well, I, I guess the, the quickest way to establish that quickly would be to go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 8 clearly talks about an old covenant, a new covenant, and the new covenant being better. And then we can read in Hebrews chapter 9, it speaks in verse 15, For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So that ties it into the death of Christ as uh, the key point when he paid the price, uh, when he made the sacrifice for our sins, that... That fulfills the old covenant, and yeah. then it ushered in the new covenant. I think a great, uh, right along in line with that, a great place. Uh, I think one that all of us should be familiar with is Colossians two fourteen, beginning. It says, "Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross." So there were some kind of handwritten ordinances that were nailed to the cross, taken out of the way. What were they? Verse 16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day. So when we want to find out what he's talking about, when he spoke of handwritten ordinances nailed to the cross of Jesus, we find out in verse 16 he's talking about those ordinances that were in the law of Moses. All right. Now, uh, so so I think that pins it down. I think that's pretty close. All right. Uh, Jim sends in Colossians 2.14, as you mentioned, Hebrews 7, uh, verses uh, 8, 7, and 12. Now, uh, Garland has a slightly dis- disagreeing opinion, uh, again, on this question. He says in Hebrews 8.13, this was said regarding the law of Moses. What is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is prima facie evidence uh, that the law was uh, still not yet obsolete, expired or removed some 30 years after, uh, 30 years after the cross. Indeed, Jesus promised in Matthew 5, verse 18, that not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Certainly, Jesus accomplished much in his life and death, but there was more prophecy yet to be fulfilled, including the establishment of the church, Joel 2, and the latter end of Israel, Deuteronomy 32. The law could not have ended at the cross with these promises not yet having been accomplished. Rather, it ended within a few years after Hebrews was written when fleshly Israel indeed met her latter end, when the shattering of the power of the holy people came to an end, Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. Well, uh, I would disagree with Garland respectfully. Uh, I, I think we have pinned it down. Uh, I noticed Aaron in the chat room says Colossians 2.14 seems pretty clearly to indicate the cross ended the law. Um, but 
in regards to what is becoming obsolete and growing old, ready to vanish away, Hebrews 8, verse 13, I think, I think that the Hebrew writer was talking about the Jewish system. Now, there were still people who were practicing the Jewish system even after Pentecost, obviously, because there were a lot of unbelieving Jews. And so the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus were going to continue to observe the principles of the law of Moses because they didn't think it had been ended yet. But it was about to end, and the Hebrew writer was talking about that because the whole system was going to be completely devastated when the Romans uh, uh, defeated Jerusalem and tore it down, destroyed the temple, and, and made it impossible for anyone to ever again restore the Jewish system of worship. What about uh, Jesus uh, saying here that he would that the, the law would not pass away till all was fulfilled? What do you think about that? Was right. it all fulfilled when Jesus died? All of the all of the requirements of the law had been fulfilled. I would I would say that as well because Jesus said in Matthew seven for fifteen or five seventeen I'm sorry that he came not to destroy but to fulfill. So that was Jesus' purpose here on earth. Yeah, Jesus fulfilled those purposes while he was here. Right uh, now, um, in regards to the the statement here, the law could not have ended at the cross. Uh, well. If that were the case, then, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem, and they said, men and brethren, what should we do? Peter would say, well, just keep following the law of Moses, because it's still in mm-hmm. force. You know, you're Jews, the law was given to you, keep doing it. In fact, do it better, because you haven't been doing it very good lately. But improve upon your performance, observe the law of Moses more carefully, that's what you should do. He didn't tell anybody to keep observing the law of Moses. He told them to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Every one of you. Exactly right. And again, the point with Cornelius in Acts 10 and 11, when Peter retold what happened, he went back to the beginning. And that beginning point was the end of something. The start of something. The start of something new. I think you're right. I think you're right. So I I would argue that that the idea, certainly we understand that the Jewish system was still, still... functioning in a very flawed and faulty way the jews were they still had the temple in jerusalem they're still making sacrifices there the priests were still serving there although in god's estimation that system had been abolished the ordinances had been nailed to the cross of jesus uh they were still making a feeble attempt to continue it but even that was growing old uh the the king james says that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish in other words it was decaying it was a dead rotted corpse and it, it, it was decaying and was ready to completely vanish away. But I don't think that, that verse establishes that it was still a law for anybody right. in God's estimation. Aaron in Baton Rouge uh, sends in this comment. Now in that passage, uh, referencing there in Hebrews chapter uh, 8, verse 13, is a narrative use, not a chronological use. The writer's point is that from the time Jeremiah prophesied a new covenant, the other one was ready to pass away from that time 600 years before it happened. Compare Matthew 1, verse 18 for a similar use of now in the narrative sense. Not that Jesus was being born now as Matthew wrote, but in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So a narrative sense, he says. Okay, very Interesting. good. Interesting. Good good analysis there, Aaron. Appreciate that very much. Uh, we got to go quick. Wade, Wade has a comment. Sorry, Wade. Okay. Cut you off. Well, I think that was my comment uh, that he just took. Oh, okay. Uh, but basically in 13 right there, my version doesn't... My version doesn't say now. It says when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. I think uh, Garland's assumption is the fact that he's that he's referencing the writer to say that this is what is happening right now. I don't think that's what he's saying because he's referencing a prophecy that was written Jeremiah. by Jeremiah, Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. That was what 
Yeah, that's I mean, what four or five hundred years 600 old? Six hundred years. Yeah, six hundred years old. So I don't, I don't think that he's saying that um, that this is what is happening right now. But he's trying to explain to these Jews that were trying to go back to the old Jewish system. This is what has happened. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Real quickly, we have got to fly on, uh, Arthur. Yes, the one you mentioned a while ago, Greg. Luke sixteen sixteen. The law and the prophets was to who? John the Baptist. And then after John the Baptist, what was being preached? The kingdom. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. We've got two questions and four minutes to do them. Real quick. What are some of the things that people justified doing by going to the Old Testament for the authority? uh, I think you alluded to this, Kevin. This is part of the reason why you wanted to to bring a lesson like this. Because of misuse of the Old Testament. Yeah. as, As we spell out the different time periods, I use this illustration that say somebody who was living under the Moses time period, the Moses law, were to say, you know, Abraham was the father of his family, and he made sacrifices. So I don't have to, under the Mosaic law, be a Levitical priest to be able to offer these sacrifices because if God accepted Abraham's sacrifice as a father, then I could maybe be like King Saul and just offer the sacrifices in that way for Samuel. King Saul couldn't do that because he wasn't a Levitical priest. So we see in that illustration that when you're living under one dispensation, you can't go to a previous dispensation, a previous law, to find authority for what you want to do today. And so I'll hear illustrations about, say, like instrumental music. And say, I was reading in Psalms about how they worship God with instruments. And if God accepted it then, I'm sure he'll accept it now. But the point is we need to look at what God has commanded under this dispensation, and we see no reference to instrument he specified singing and so it would be just like saying going back to a previous dispensation the patriarch to find authority for what you're doing now so people would say when you ask them why where's the authority for using instrumental music in worship to god today and they said well they did it in the old testament well that's not our authority that's 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 just something that you have to understand those divisions of the bible and how god dealt with people and what law we're under today but the instrumental music illustration is probably the best because I think that's the most common thing. Uh, Dan, uh, Jim in Kentucky says dancing is a form of worship. They go to the Old Testament try to justify that. Observing the Sabbath day, they do that. There's an interesting one. Aaron in the chat room has said, uh, I have even heard religious people. So there's, a, there's a comment ahead of that. Oh, oh, this is the one I want, this one. He says, I'll throw out one you probably don't expect. Too many people use the Old Testament to justify the condemnation of homosexuality. There's plenty in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and even in the definition of marriage in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7 to explain God's instructions on the matter, but many religious people want to quote Leviticus or talk about Sodom to establish God's will for today, and then they become suddenly tongue-tied when asked to explain why they eat pork and catfish or mm-hmm. wear clothes of mixed fabrics. I think that's a good point. Right. We, uh, now, we you, gotta, you're opening up uh, a Pandora's box there. You may not want to open up. Exactly right. Okay. Now, that leads us... Uh, so, we got, we, we've made our point there. Well, he's, I, he goes, I'd, I'd like to expand on it. Go ahead. Well, he goes on. He's, he's heard that argument made where uh, since you could throw out the stuff about pork and the mixed uh, fabric material in your fabrics, then you can throw out everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, we got to be careful about how we're using the Old Testament right. like mm-hmm. in regards to talking about homosexuality. So, that's on the on the prohibitive side. On the uh, allowing side, you've said that we can't use it for instrumental music. Jim throws in dancing as a form of worship. 
observing the Sabbath. So there's some other things there. We're out of time, but what about this last question? So what's the purpose of the Old Testament? Why should we study it? Real quickly, Kevin, why, why even study it then? Why don't we just, why don't we just, in fact, I've got just a New Testament right here. Maybe I should get rid of this Bible that has both the Old and the New and just use the New Testament. You'd be more portable. Be easier to carry around. Yeah. What about it? What do you say, Kevin? Well, we're identifying two different extremes. One extreme would be to go to the old law to justify what you're doing today. Another extreme would be to just throw it out altogether. And Jesus said he didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. So in that word, fulfill means to satisfy, to abundantly supply. So you know, every jot and every tittle, he, he fulfilled it. So look at everything that God put in the Old Testament to point us to Christ to verify that he keeps his word, he keeps prophecy, that he has a plan, that he cares about us, that throughout time he purposed in eternity, this mystery that's been revealed through Christ. All these things show us we learn more about the will of God, the power of God, the mind of God by looking at the Old Testament, by seeing he cared enough about us to put this into place for us. And then Romans 15 and verse 4, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I can look at all of God's word and learn from it about how powerful, how wise, loving he is, and that Christ is the fulfillment of it all. Good, very good. I would also, I'd like to throw in too, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse uh, uh, 11, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, talk, he'd been talking about, God's dealing with the Israelites, and he said all these things happen to them for examples, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world will come. There's things we can learn from. We can learn about God, the nature of God, all the attributes of God. We can we can see how God deals with people, how God reacts to disobedience, and lots of lessons to learn, and, but it's not our law. And the prophecy causes us to have great faith in the fact that the Bible is inspired, in, uh, the, and also included in that would be the type-antitype uh, relationships that, that God has used. The imagery that God has used throughout the Bible could not be man-made. It's, uh, it certainly is indication God has given us his word. I was thinking of Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 22, uh, where uh, we were told that uh, it references back to Moses' prophecy that God was going to raise up a prophet like him, and we should hear that prophet. Well, how do we know that Jesus is that prophet unless we know what Moses was like yeah. and, and the details of how God dealt with people and, in that and time? And real quick, Jim in, in Kentucky has, has suggested Galatians 3, beginning verse 24, the law was schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. That's when they it, it, it taught us necessary things that made us able to receive the truth about Jesus right. and to learn what God would do for us through Jesus Christ. Aaron references Galatians 3, verse 24, and we're going to give Arthur the last word tonight. Uh, you, you mentioned it. All right, so you're done. Uh, okay, uh, well, he's uh, out of last words, so thank you, uh, Arthur. We're out of time. All right, good discussion tonight. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks Kevin, for being thank with us. Thanks for, for the here. lesson tonight and for joining us on the Virtual Bible. Study. Those who may be listening, uh, that's right, those who may be listening to this uh, in the podcast form or lo- listening to us live or in the archive form, if you're listening to us uh, prior to uh, tomorrow night, uh, October 25th, 2013, you have an opportunity to come uh, to our gospel meeting tomorrow night. Exactly right. We'll end up tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Jeff May from Athens, Alabama will be here to bring us a lesson tomorrow night. And Monty's been behind the controls all night. And Monty's, we haven't talked to Monty at all, but Monty, thank you for taking time to be here tonight. And thank you for those who joined us in the room. And Kevin, thank you again for coming tonight. Thank you. For being with you. And uh, we appreciate you listening to the program tonight. Hope you'll make plans to listen to us again this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.